Well, if you would stand with me for the scripture this morning, we're going to be reading in 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 16. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love a father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you would have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murder his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that when we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, and that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to have everyone here this morning. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Uh, we are this month in a uh, series of messages that's going to speak to a particular theme. In fact, the theme asks us a question Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten? Have we as a people of God, have we forgotten? And today we're going to continue the question, the, the sentence of the question. Have we forgotten that Jesus came to earth to destroy the works of the devil? Have we forgotten that? It's wonderful news. It's very good news as we'll come to see in the text today. Have we forgotten? That's going to be the theme and I pray that over these next couple weeks as we're together, as we're looking to God's word, that we'll be refreshed and renewed in our mind and our thinking of Christ this Christmas season. We'll be remembering why it is he came to earth. He didn't just come as a babe and remain as a babe. But this babe grew. This babe was sent by God to be the savior of the world. This babe grew to become one who would go to a cross and would die for our sins. He would pay the price, the full complete price for us. And as Mark just read in one of the verses, so that we might live through him. So all that is kind of preface. Uh, will you pray with me? And then we'll get started here this morning. Father, we are grateful for a new day, a new opportunity. This day, and we ask you, Lord, that you would do your necessary work in us, upon us, through us, draw us closer to you, that we might know you and experience the power of your resurrection. Help us to steadfastly walk with you, to be most concerned about what you've said in your word and to be intentional about pleasing you. See, Lord, that 
in our lives your word goes forth. And may the seed that goes out today land on heart soil that welcomes and receives it as it truly is. And that is the word of God. Father, we are grateful and we thank you for speaking in these last days. Give us ears to hear what you're saying this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I'd like to begin with a few verses from Psalm 119, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 just has a steadying influence toward it. Right? It draws us back time and time again to God and to his word. In fact, it not only draws us to God and his word, it draws us to a love for God and a love for God's word. The psalmist says in verse 61, the cords of the wicked have bound me. Now that sounds pretty, pretty bleak, doesn't it? The cords of the wicked have bound me. Think about that picture for just a moment of being bound. And he goes on, he says, but I have not forgotten your law. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I've not forgotten your law. Verse 139, my zeal has consumed me because My enemies have forgotten your words. My enemies have forgotten your words, the psalmist says. Ties into verse 136, where the psalmist says, Rivers of water running down my eyes because men do not keep your law. He realizes that his enemies have forgotten the very words of God, the instruction of God. In verse 153, he says, Consider my affliction. This plea, consider my affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget your law. I'm still holding on. Verse 93, love this one. I will never forget your precepts. Well, we ought to just stamp that one right into our our heart and mind. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. I will never forget your precepts. And then the last one here that I want to share just up front. Verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and can contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. Here it is. Listen. I will not forget your word. I will not. There's a sense of resolve there, isn't there? You know, it's relatively easy to forget things in the course of the day. Amen? Anybody else have that problem? Multiple times during the course of the day? We forget things. In the course of a day and... Sometimes those days turn into weeks. Those weeks turn into months. I believe it's fair to say that we are a group of forgetful people. You know, I was reminded of this as I was looking to scriptures this week. And I was, I was drawn to the passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You might remember the account in, in, in the passage there in 34. It's, it's the story of Josiah. Hilkiah, the high priest, answers, says to Shaphan, the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. He then hands it to Josiah. And once Josiah receives the book of the law, listen to what he says. He says, great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do all that is written in this book. 
And so one of the first things then that Josiah does after receiving the book of the law, he calls all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem together. He himself, remember, takes a stand. We had a message on this long, long time ago. He takes a stand himself before the people. And then he calls all of the people who are gathered to also take a stand. And the text says in verses 32 and 33 of chapter 34, 2 Chronicles, the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers, all of Josiah's days, they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Well, wouldn't it have been great to live in the days of Josiah? All of his days. And I got to thinking, it's easy to forget when the book isn't around. It's easy to forget when his name is removed from nearly everything around us. It's easy to forget God when no one else seems remotely interested in following God. It's easy to forget God when his way is harder, oftentimes more painful difficult. Did you notice in that Second Chronicles passage where the book of the law was found? It was found in the house of the Lord. That struck me as odd as I was reading that this week. The word was in the house of God all along. It didn't disappear. It had been glossed over. It had been set aside. It was no longer being exercised. Church, it had been forgotten. The book of the law had been forgotten. And Josiah takes what for so long had been forgotten on the shelf in the Lord's house. He takes the book of the law. He reads it. He digests it. He inquires about it. And he calls his people together to hear it read. The days of forgetting God are done, says Josiah. Not on my watch are the people of God going to forget God and his word any longer. Josiah may have been young But Josiah knows the Lord and he is tuned in to the book of the law when it's delivered to him. It's not just another book. It's a book that gives life. It's a book that commands and instructs the people of God. It's a book that reveals God's will and God's way. And when you open up this word and when you take it in, you begin to see how much it speaks into your life, church. It's a living word. It it relates to you as an individual. It relates to you in your marriages. It relates to you in how you communicate with others. How you conduct your business. It relates to your morals, your values, your ethics, integrity issues. It shines light for your path. It delivers pure, 100% truth. This word. How could the people of God in Josiah's day, how could they have forgotten such a book? How is it that the church today has forgotten this book? See, all of a sudden now, we're no longer way back when. We're right now. The question is still the same. Because in many ways, the church has forgotten God's word. In many ways, the church has forgotten God. God has done so much, as we'll see here in the text. We're prefacing all of this by talking about our idea, our our forgetfulness. We tend to forget lots of things. We must not forget His Word. We must not forget Him. Over these next few weeks, we'll be looking specifically at Christ's arrival here to earth and asking the question, have we forgotten why he came? It's a fundamental question to ask, isn't it? Why he came? 
Our nation has turned its back on the things of God, and the Word of God has been relegated to a dusty corner on the back shelf. Let's be clear, it's still on the shelf. It's in the house, much like the book of the law was found in the house of the Lord. It's still in the house. In fact, it's in many houses today. Copies abound in many households today. Accessibility for those of us here is not the problem. The problem is that we seem to be content with what the Hebrew writer called, and back in chapter 2, the drift. Odd thing is, some of us don't even know the drift's happening. Let me tell you, it's happening. There's drift happening. That's why it's a warning there in Hebrews chapter 2. Take heed. Lest you drift. We've become accustomed to life with God on the periphery. Or as one young man I heard in his testimony share, we've grown to be okay with God in the trunk. God in the trunk. You know, the idea that we can just pull him out of the trunk and use him whenever we are in need. What's needed today is men and women who will take a stand with God's word. Men and women who resolve, as the psalmist resolved, I read earlier, I will not forget your word. See, this word is instructive for the soul. It penetrates the heart. It renews our minds. It always delivers truth to the inward parts. And it communicates, listen, it communicates God's story whose lead role is the Son, Jesus Christ. When the Word of God is forgotten and forsaken, the story begins to fade. The message wanes. The lessons learned become a thing of the past only. It doesn't take long to forget what it says. Judges 2 verse 10 tells us that a whole generation after Joshua did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done in Israel. Forget what it says and you may very well find yourself forgetting then why Jesus came. We've become a people who operate as though we've forgotten about Jesus' arrival. We've become a people who operate as though we've also forgotten about Jesus coming back again. Isn't that interesting? On both ends, we've forgotten, it seems, why he came, and we've forgotten that he's coming back. We live in the midst of those tensions, friends. He has come, and he is coming again. That, both of those, what we call bookends, both of those have ramifications for how we are to be living. Tell me this morning, have you forgotten why Jesus came to earth? Look at 1 John 3. If you, have, if you don't have your Bible open, turn to 1 John 3. You do have your Bible open, you can follow along here. This is a real simple message this morning, as far as I'm concerned, and looking at the text. We're, we're dealing with a theme over these next few, few Sundays. Today, the big idea is Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I, I didn't make that up, it's right here in the text. He came to destroy the works of the devil. That's not the only reason he came, but it's a reason, a very good reason for his coming here to earth. And there's one primary question and one supplemental question that ties with it that I'd like to address this morning from the passage. And the first question is, how did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? How did he do it? And the supplemental question that ties in is, 
And then the text gives us a very clear answer to this question. How do you recognize the child of God on one hand and the child of the devil on the other hand? You know, sometimes we want to, when we go to the Bible, we want the Bible to be able to tell us, give us just like a cut and dry. Anybody here ever have a problem or an issue going on in your life and you just want to open up the Bible and you just want, you just want the Bible to say, do this. Have we ever done that? Well, it couldn't be any clearer in the passage today. A child of God, child of the devil. You can see with great clarity this morning as we walk through, he's going to give you an answer to that question, what it looks like. Now, that first question as we deal with the primary question, we probably ought to ask another question to couple with that. And is what sense, in what sense did Jesus destroy, or we could also use the word demolish, destroy and demolish, in what sense did he destroy the works of the devil? You know, one might be, might be thinking here this morning as you read that word destroy, that it implies now the absence of the devil's work today. Right? If he's destroyed the devil's work, amen, praise God. It's all done. Or is it? See, we live in this tension. He's a defeated foe, isn't he? Yet, he's opportunistic. He's looking for a place to stand. He's looking for position to gain ground. You know, back in in the day, in the World War eras, there were days that would go by where Our troops would gain ground slowly, painfully, but yet they would gain ground. They would win territory. Folks, it's important we understand that the evil one is looking to gain ground in your life. It may just simply be initially a foothold, as the Bible says. A a starting point. But know that the evil one is not going to be content with the ground that he currently holds. Is standing on. He's wanting to expand his grasp. He's wanting to expand his sway. His territory in your life. So that not just a compartment of your life is his. But all. Of your life is his. You see, he comes to devour, doesn't he? It's important we understand these things. He's looking for a place. You know, it's interesting when you read the Bible and you see Jesus 40 days, he's fasting, and Jesus is hungry. What a great time to show up and offer him something to eat, right? He's opportunistic. He knows. And he shows up. Now for you here today, it might be some challenges in your marriage. And you might be hearing those words, hey, grass is greener on the other side. It's all right. You can go. You might be dealing with unsettled family relationships. You might be hearing that voice just sweeping under the rug. No need to work through it. Just cut your losses. Maybe you find yourself today struggling to stay above water. Lots of things are happening all at once and you're, you're spinning plates at a furious speed. All to no avail, it seems. And there's that voice. Just call it quits. Why do you keep doing this? You're going to wear yourself out at this pace. And besides, when are you going to start doing something for yourself for a change? 
He's deemed an adversary, church. The accuser of the brethren. That serpent of old, the great dragon, the prince of the power of the air. He's best remembered as one walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. How did Jesus demolish his works? I want to take us back to Hebrews 2 for just a moment, because I think Hebrews 2 helps give us a very clear, succinct answer to the question. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Hebrews 2. It's okay. You, you really can turn there. You can turn there to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I'm going to read it. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, right, flesh and bones, he himself likewise shared, voluntarily shared in the same. He took on flesh and blood, just like us, right? Why? Why did he do this? Why did he become like us? Here's the big why. Here it is right here, Hebrews 2. That through death, he might destroy... Who's doing the destroying here? Christ is. Through death, he might destroy him who had, had, he had, he doesn't anymore. He had the power of death, and in case we don't get it, the Bible says that is the devil. And... So not only, listen, not only did he come that through death he might destroy him, the devil, but he also came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I was reading this and I was, I, I couldn't help but, but also be drawn to Paul speaking in Corinthians 15 of the victory, the release from bondage. He's speaking in that wonderful 15th chapter of the resurrection. But he's talking about the victory on the back end that, that comes through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? He says, thanks be to God who gives us victory. Where's our victory come? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil through his own death. He demolished the devil's work. He destroyed the devil's grip of death through the cross and subsequent resurrection from the dead. He was dead. The Bible says for three days. He was dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. The one who had the power of death was defeated. He was conquered. And if you are here today and you are in Christ, you too are an overcomer. You too have conquered in Christ. This is good news. See, being in Christ guarantees that we too are overcomers, that we too are, as the Bible says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. How did he love us? He loved us with a cross. He loved us by dying. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us and destroyed the power of the one who held death but he also releases us through that death on the cross. Releases us from fear, from bondage. All of our lives we've been subject to, to fear. He's released us from that. Through what he did at the cross. You see, Jesus was manifested. He was revealed. He came to earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. Think about this. Had Christ not demolished the works of the devil, we would still find ourselves in bondage to death's sting. A slave to sin. I want you to see this morning how glorious it is that the works of the devil have been destroyed. 
They've been destroyed. His coming to earth in human form. Jesus, he came as a babe, yes, in a manger, but he continued to grow and his life was being channeled. You know, you think about something narrowing, a focus. His life was being channeled in the direction of the cross. The cross and the empty tomb serve as reminders of Christ's demolition of the devil's works. Praise God. As we think about the devil's works, uh, I would just summarize them according to what I read in the scripture in, in John chapter 10. I believe we could summarize his works in three categories. He's at work to steal. He's at work to kill. He's at work to destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his work. That's what he's about. Anything that magnifies Jesus, anyone who's following Jesus, the devil is bent on stealing, killing, and destroying. Jesus, in fact, in John chapter 8, he's telling the Jewish leaders who are operating in accordance to their father, remember that passage, the devil. They didn't really like what Jesus had to say here. In 844, part of what he says there, he says, talking about this father of lies, the devil, says he was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Have you forgotten that Jesus came to destroy the works of this father of lies? The Bible says that the whole world in 1 John 5... The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Having been cast to earth, out of heaven, the warning in Revelation 12, those words, those words that just kind of, ooh, they, they kind of make your hair stand up if you have any. It, it, it's one of those, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Right? You remember that passage in Revelation 12? Woe. He's full of wrath because he knows his time is short. In other words, he knows what's coming. He knows he's a defeated foe. And he's doing what he can in the meantime to steal and kill and destroy anyone, anything that honors God, bears the name of Jesus Christ. He's looking for a place to gain a foothold. He's prowling around to devour. He's an opportunistic adversary. All the more reason, church, to watch, to be alert, to keep your eyes open, ears open. Don't be caught off guard to his schemes. Our Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth. We sing that chorus. He came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave and the grave to the sky. And we praise him because of that. At least we should be praising him because of that. He came from heaven to earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. As you look at 1 John chapter 3. It's very helpful for us to be able to see the difference between a child of God and the child of the devil. If you look at verse 7, I love the term of endearment, little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. In large part, this whole letter is written for this very reason. There were some folks who were trying to deceive these believers in the Lord to whom John is writing. In fact, 1 John 2.26 tells us, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
He, he tells them, this is why I'm writing. There's some folks trying to deceive you, and I'm telling you, watch out. Stick to the truth. I also like the end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you. Here's another purpose. Big picture. Why is he writing? These things I have written to you. Who's he writing to? To you who believe. He's writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? For what purpose? That you may know that you have eternal life, first of all. Secondly, that you may continue to believe. That you might keep on believing in the name of the Son of God. So the call of the letter is that you may know you have eternal life. Those of you in Christ. And that you may continue to believe in Jesus. Now, continuing to believe in Jesus becomes a challenge when deception creeps in. When when people begin mixing a little bit of falsehood with some truth. Continuing to believe is where the devil, I believe, finds great success. That continuing to believe on our end. We have a run, uh, we're running a race. Remember we've talked about that in the book of Hebrews. In many ways, that race is a marathon. We're called to keep going. We're called to continue. And I believe the devil finds great success here in our lives because we are in large part a people who haven't done a great job of persevering and enduring. We're called to keep going. We're called to continue in Jesus. We're called to press on. It's it's in the rigors of the race of faith where the evil one inserts his menu of alternatives. He's got a long list of alternatives. In fact, his list, it's, it's pretty exhaustive. It really includes anything but Jesus. Anything but Jesus. Anything but his word. But see, he can even use and manipulate the word of God. We saw that in his encounter with Jesus, right? He quoted some scripture to his benefit. Oh, he knows the word. Listen, if he can't keep you from a relationship with Jesus, he'll do what he can to see that you do not continue to believe in Jesus. He excels at deception and lies. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Sometimes it's hard to notice. That's why you need to be watching. That's why you need to be alert. That's why you need to be on guard. That's why you need to be like Habakkuk up on the watchtower. I love that picture. On the watchtower looking. This letter of 1 John is written that you might continue to believe in the name of Jesus. Notice how the letter ends. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, right? That's the very last thing he says in the letter. The final words of the letter reiterate this call to continue in Jesus. I believe he's saying, don't get sidetracked, don't be distracted, don't be swayed. Keep watch. Hold fast the truth of the gospel. Let no one deceive you. The Bible wants to make very clear those who belong to God and those who belong to the devil. Now remember, he came that he might destroy the works of the devil. Look at 3 verse 7. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now, if you go backwards, I've got an arrow written in in my Bible up to 229. Take a little road map up to 229. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him.
And then I was drawn backwards even further to chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you. Here's another reason he's written. So that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Listen, the devil is deemed an adversary, right? He's deemed an adversary. But Jesus is declared to be your advocate. Adversary, advocate. If anyone sins, don't for a moment buy the lie that you're a loser. Oh, you'll never make it. You can't cut it. Those are the words that might be coming. Those are the words you might be hearing from your adversary. But your advocate is standing, excuse me, the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And what is he doing as he's seated at the right hand? He is interceding on your behalf. Don't listen to those other words. The Bible says we have an advocate. If you sin, we do have an advocate with the Father. That's wonderful news. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who has cleansed us by his blood. You see, your adversary wants to remind you of your sin. Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. Your advocate is seated before the Father. Just remember those pictures. You see, practicing righteousness, verse 7. He who practices righteousness. Practicing righteousness, exercising righteous living, walking as Christ himself walked, living life in the light, loving your brother. Those who belong to God have a walk to supplement their talk. They have works to combine with a genuine faith in Christ. They are the doers and not hearers only. If you notice in James chapter 1 verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then there's two other words. Deceiving yourselves. So we have let no one deceive you. 1 John 3, verse 7. But neither should we deceive ourselves. I think sometimes we do a really good job at deceiving ourselves. See, we can do that, friends, when we, all we do is come to a, a Sunday morning and sit in a chair and hear a message. And we become a hearer of the word and we're not a doer. The Bible says... We're deceiving ourselves if we think that's all this is all about. I mean, you look at the contradictions. You look at the, the you know, and all throughout 1 John. You go to chapter 1 and you see this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, what's it say? We lie and do not practice the truth. We lie. That means we are representatives then of the father of lies. We're starting to get a little closer here to distinguishing between the child of God, child of the devil. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Ouch. We make God a liar? And his word is not in us. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. He who says, I know him, I know him, I, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You see how, the, how this letter in John, John is writing and he is constantly hammering, constantly identifying who the child of God is, who the child of the devil is. Verse 9, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother, he's in darkness till now. now you keep going, you keep reading. Chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not 
Love does not know God. God's love. Verse 20, chapter 4, if someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And on and on and on it goes. Let no one deceive you. Now the text here in in 1 John 3 contrasts the one who practices righteousness. Notice this. He who sins, verse 8, chapter 3, he who sins is of the devil. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Now listen, let's be really clear here. Some of your translations bring this forward, I think, in a great way. I think the NIV actually has it pretty well, as I recall. He who continues in sinning. He who keeps on sinning. It's not talking about one-time sin here. And by the way, even if, you, if you're thinking of a one-time sin, we need to remember, if sin does happen, if sin does occur, the writer here has already given us what's happening in the event we do sin. If we do sin, who do we have on our behalf? We have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay? We have that. And by the way, also, just as another note, 1 John 1, 9 is a good one to remember too. If we do sin. If we do sin, we're called to confess our sins. To agree with God about what God says about sin. To call it what God calls it. To confess with our mouth before God our sin. Because sin and a holy God don't work together very well, do they? He he doesn't invite that in. He doesn't welcome that. Confess our sins. What's on the other side of that? He's a faithful God. He's a just God. Not only is he going to forgive our sin, which he did, by the way, at the cross. He cleansed us, forgives us, and he's going to bring about the cleansing necessary that we might keep walking, that we might continue to believe in his name. Are you practicing righteousness or sin? Are you you practicing? I'm not talking about one-time deal here. I'm talking about making it a habit, a pattern in your life. Are you practicing righteousness or sin? Are you presenting the members of your body? We'll use Romans' word speak here for just a moment. Are you presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin or instruments of righteousness for holiness? Present yourselves, church, as being alive from the dead. Right? I know what it says. Alive from the dead. Some of us need a wake-up call. We're called now to walk in the newness of life that Christ afforded through his death, burial, and resurrection. We are called to reckon ourselves dead now to sin and alive to God. Let no one deceive you. You are either exhibiting a pattern of righteousness in your life or a pattern of sin. You are either exercising godliness or ungodliness. You're either looking more like the Son of God or you're looking more like the Father of lies. You are either desiring to please God with your life or you are desiring to please the flesh. You either represent Christ as an ambassador here on earth or you represent the devil. Everyone who practices habitual pattern Everyone who practices righteousness is of Christ. Everyone who practices as a habitual pattern, that of sin, is of the devil. And then you arrive at this next sentence, the end of verse 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There's our theme. You know, before you get to that last sentence in verse 8, you might say that we find ourselves in some deep trouble with no way out. (laughs) To know that the one who keeps on sinning is of the devil. Listen, the Bible connects sin 
with the devil. Righteousness with Christ. I don't believe we, we think often enough in these terms. If we did, I would venture to say that there'd be a whole lot less sinning going on. Do you link your sin with the devil and his work? You see, I think we try today, we try to smooth over sin with terminology that softens the blow. We, we handle sin carelessly, and in doing so, we presume upon the grace of God. We, we look at sin, and we oftentimes rationalize the severity of it because, well, you know, after all, everyone's sinning these days. We rationalize it. Some look at sin and, and minimize the impact and the ramifications of it. Listen, would you let your son or daughter climb into a den of lions to pet the furry mane? I don't think there's one of us parents who would do that. When young people are learning how to get around in the kitchen and learn, perhaps some of uh, learning how to, to cook, and, and you're thinking, I was thinking about the stovetop, and you know, when that stovetop burner is, when, that, when things red, don't touch it. Don't put your hand on it. You're not going to allow them to do it. You're going to instruct them. You're going to warn them. You're going to alert them. It's going to burn you. And yet we treat sin with such little regard. We, we keep going on thinking things are going to be all right. And the devil wants to feed you a line that says, take it easy. You can do this. It's okay. Just this once. Let no one deceive you. Look at verse 9. The last verse for this morning. Whoever has been born of God does not, the idea here, same as the one previous, does not continue or keep on sinning. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot continue in sin. Because he's been born of God. Now the seed in one born of God is a deterrent to sin. You have the seed in you. Some of you might attest that seed to the Holy Spirit in you. The deposit in you, pointing you to the things of Christ. Perhaps that seed is also the word of God implanted in you, right? The remaining in you, how important it is that it's in you. Whether the spirit of God abiding in you or the word of truth implanted in you, both speak truth, both point to Jesus, both act to fight against the lies and deception coming from the devil. 1 John 5, 17 says, excuse me, 1 John 5, 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not continue to sin. Same idea. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. Did you hear that? He keeps himself. He understands there's work to be done. We talked about earlier, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, we're all done, right? No, the Bible says quite the opposite. We've got work to do, ongoing work. We must be keeping ourselves, cleansing ourselves. So that what? So that we might be useful to the master on one hand, but so that what? We can remain pure just as he is pure as we await the arrival, the second arrival of our Lord. There's work to be done. Work out your salvation, friends, with fear and trembling as he's working in you. That's the call. Notice that the one who's been born of God, not only does he keep himself, but in, the, in, the, in that process of keeping himself, tending to himself in this way, it goes on and says the wicked one does not touch him. How many of us like the idea there? The wicked one not touching us. It's a pretty good idea. It's a pretty good thought, isn't it? It's pretty wonderful news. 
Paul elsewhere in, in, in Corinthians as he's talking, he, he issues forgiveness. And I, I love the basis upon which he issues forgiveness. He says, lest Satan should take advantage of the brethren. Paul lived in recognition of the devil's works. He made certain he was not ignorant of his schemes. Psalm 119, in Psalm 119, verse 104, he talks about, he says, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Verse 118, you reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Psalm 119, 161, he says, princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. And 163, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. You see, it really didn't matter what condition the psalmist was in, what was going on around him, his circumstances. It seems like he learned what we learned in Hebrews 13. He learned to be content in any and all of his situations. He learned to not covet. He learned to simply allow the Lord to lead him in the midst of his difficulty, in his trial. And he learned never to forget the word. That's why he says elsewhere, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Go ahead, do what you're going to do to me. But I love your word. I love you, God. And it doesn't matter what they do to me. Isn't it a great mindset just to have that freedom? With the word of truth hidden in your heart, friends, it really does help you fight against sin. Habitual sin tells a story. It presents evidence. It shows your loyalties and bent. And the one who was born of God has his heart set on pleasing the Lord, carrying out his commandments, walking in the light, loving the brethren. 1 John 2.17 says that the world is passing away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Child of God or a child of the devil? In what sense does the child of God keep himself? As we read in 518, 1 John. I hope we understand that there's work for him to do in the days remaining. There's work to do amidst the devil holding sway in the world. But the work we're to do, listen, this is so important. The work we're to do, this is not one of these messages where we just... Uh, pull the boots up and, and just go at it. The work we're to do, the effectiveness of this work is predicated on adorning the full armor of God. Turn to Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles, schemes, plots of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's our enemy. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Girded your waist with truth. We've talked about what the evil one is about. He's about deception. He's about lies. Put on the belt of truth, church. You don't put this armor on. Go to 16. Taking the shield of faith. What's that for? Why do we need that? With which you will be able. I love this. You will be able to quench all the fiery darts, not just some of them, all of them, all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's the devil. Shield of faith extinguishes them, puts them out. Take the helmet of salvation the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
All of these pieces, friends, are parts of the armor that are necessary as we talk about the work that we have to do. This is not just try harder. No, it's adhere to what he's given (laughs) and walk in what he's given. Put on what he's provided for a child of God. Don't forget why Jesus came. He came to destroy and demolish the works of the devil. And the text lays out the child of God and the child of the devil. Very clear who these are, who these people are, characteristics. One who works righteousness, one who works sin, habitual pattern, right? If we're born of God, if we are in Christ, we cannot keep sinning for his seed remains in us. If you have the Spirit of God in you, your life's going to look a lot different than someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God. It's going to be a marked difference. It's going to be a contrast. Because see, someone who has the Spirit of God in him is deemed a new creation. Someone who has the Spirit of God in him is actually walking in newness of life, doesn't look like the old life. It looks differently. Resolve by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as the psalmist did. Resolve, I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. And I pray that we don't forget why he came. He came, as we see today in 1 John 3, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? That's good news. The story's not over. We still have days to live in the meantime. We don't know how many, but in the days that we're living, we must, we must be about his work We must remember to not deceive ourselves nor let anyone else deceive us. But stay focused, intent upon his truth. Amen? Can we do that? We walk in that? I think that's a wonderful truth for us to hold on to here. Let no one deceive you. Let's pray. Father, we know that there's an enemy, a very real enemy here. But we also know that you are a mighty fortress. That you never fail. Those words of that song are so appropriate and true. You're our helper amidst the flood. Go through that entire song and we see that you are orchestrating all things. That you turn all things at your will, at your doing, at your pleasure. That you are almighty, that you are all powerful. Father, I thank you that you are our God. I thank you, Lord, that we can come before you, we can open your word, we can learn from you, we can be instructed by you. And I pray, Lord, that the truths in your word this morning would encourage our hearts as we live. Lord, you've come that we might live through your son. And in doing so, Lord, we are committing to live and walk in the truth. We are committing to live and walk in the light as you are in the light. We're committing to live out what it is to love the brethren. Lord, all of these things you've instructed us in. Father, I pray as we endeavor to do these things, I pray that we would be aware and know that the evil one is desiring to sidetrack us. He's desiring to turn us away, to turn us aside, to the right or to the left. He's desiring to put before our eyes a menu of alternatives. 
Father, I pray that we would keep ourselves in such a way that we would turn from those alternatives and walk steadfastly in the truth that you've given to us. Give us grace, Lord, I pray, for each day's demands, each day's challenges. We're saying give us grace for every hurdle. We need your grace, Lord. We need your spirit. We need your mighty power working, flowing in and through us at all times. We must not be a sleepy, weary people who have forgotten, just like back in the days of Josiah when the people forgot. They forgot your word. Of all things, they forgot your word. We must not be a people who forget your word. Father, I pray you would raise up a people here in this place to take a stand for you. To not only speak on your behalf, but to live a life on your behalf that shows evidence of one endeavoring to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our victor, the one who secured victory for us. Amen.